and welcome to the Best Ever You Show. I'm Elizabeth Hamilton Garino here with Chris Fuller. And look who we have, Jack Canfield and Miriam Laundrie. How amazing is that? Thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure. So Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, amazing. So, all right. Um, so Jack, I think everybody knows Jack Canfield and Miriam, but we're going to just take a moment here and record a little bit about who they are. Um, Jack Canfield is an award-winning speaker, uh, internationally recognized leader in personal development and peak performance um, strategies. He's the author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Now I got to get this right. There are millions of people that have your formulas for success, but I got to, you're the author and co-author of more than, get this everybody, 150 books, including 66 bestsellers. That is so amazing. Congratulations, Jack. Thank you. Um, uh, and here's more, 100 million copies in print, in, this is going to be goosebumps, in, in 47 languages around the world. Oh my gosh, what is that moment like? Um, and the success principles, of course, has been hailed as a new self-improvement classic. So uh, what's that like to, to uh, hang on, Miriam, one second, what's that like to, to even just have that first one hit a bestseller? Well, it's exciting. I mean, you know, you want your books to reach people. You want the work you do to make a difference. And so I just remember the first book I ever wrote back in 1976 was 100 Ways to Enhance Self-Concept in a Classroom for Teachers. And it came to the post office box and I opened it up in the post office and I'm showing people I don't even know, look, my book, look, my book. <laughs> yeah, so you and, know. Uh, it's really a thrill. And then when it takes off and it actually touches people's lives and you see it in the newspaper and people write you stories and letters telling you how much it's changed their life. That's uh, it never gets old. You know, here I've been doing this for, you know, I'm 76 and I wrote my first book when I was in my uh, late twenties. And now it, I still get excited when people say your book changed my life. I wrote a book because of you. I saved my marriage because of you. And my daughter stopped taking drugs because of you. My kid went back to school. You know, that just is very fulfilling. And so I'm, I'm excited. I love it. Yeah, I can tell. All right, Chris Fuller, you're going to introduce Miriam. Awesome. <laughs> I can't wait to introduce Miriam. We're so happy to have you here as well. Thanks, Jack, for sharing. And thanks, Elizabeth. So I'm going to tell our viewers about Miriam. Co-author Miriam Laundry is a sought-after speaker at schools nationwide. So you're in there at those schools, talking it up at a girl. She and Jack Canfield collaborated to write The Big Bad Bully and I Can Believe in Myself. Miriam is also the author of I Can Make a Difference and I Can Be Me. And I love this. You set a Guinness World Record for the largest online book discussion in a 24-hour period. And get this, you guys, more than 100,000 children and adults participated uh, in the promoting of positive mental health. 100,000 people. That must have been a lot to manage and navigate, but what an incredible achievement. So Guinness World Record. Fantastic. And your books, Miriam, have also received numerous, numerous book awards, including a Mom's Choice Award and a Reader's Favorite International Award. And you mentor children's book authors and donate proceeds from I Can Believe in Myself to help build schools in Guatemala through Pencils of Promise. And I love Pencils of Promise too. I've gotten some of their journals as gifts in the past. And so reading about Pencils of Promise, I was like, that's so lovely. And then here you are doing something with them as well. So thank you, Miriam, for being here. Tell me about your Guinness World Record real quick. How was that? Well, that was, uh, that was a lot of work to put together, but very exciting when we actually 
accomplished it. So it, we did it in 2014, and it was to bring awareness to positive mental health in children and schools. And um, yeah, it was a lot of fun, very nerve wracking until the very end, until, you know, the, the Guinness adjudicator actually came to my city and we had a, a big thing. We didn't know up until that point when he walked on stage with the certificate. But, uh, you know, more than getting the Guinness World Record, it was about bringing awareness to positive books and positive uh, positive things for children. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. And we're, we're very glad to have you here. Thanks, Miriam. I think Thank you guys you. need to hold up your books. <laughs> Come on. Look, yeah. you know, look at this, everybody. Oh, that is, what's your favorite page? Do you each have a favorite page in it or anything? Do you want to show us, show something you love, even read maybe yeah. a little bit, Miriam? I'm thinking that, I don't know if it's the same one for both of us, but um, there is a page that I added my children's names to it, you know, Aww. so we worked with the illustrator in writing two of my kids. I have four children. So this would be page uh, four and five, you know, like the story is so cute, right? But oh, yeah. when you can, when you can, when you can add your children's names, and this was a sneaky thing that we did, we talked to the illustrator and the publisher and they were fine with it. But when my own eight-year-old looks at the book and he sees his name hidden in there, it's a lot of fun. And we did this um, for Jack's grandson also. So you can see right there, students' names, and then Lucas is my son and Aiden is my son. And then Ozzy is Jack's grandson. So that's just a fun thing, you know, something that we can talk about. And of course, as soon as my son saw it, he's like, there's my name. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can relate. I'm, I'm a mom of four boys. Mine are older though. They're 19 to 25, but we have so many kids books. So um, we, mm -hmm. we're adding this one, even though they're older, we're gonna, and they all read them still too. It's funny. All right, Jack, what's your favorite? Well, I, I think it's this one here where Molly, the star of the show here, she doesn't believe she can do what she's uh, asked to do, which is come to school and do a show and tell. And uh, finally she realizes that she can. She chooses to believe she can. And she takes all of her I can'ts and she runs them through a paper shredder. <laughs> yeah, just that look on her face of like revelation, you know, I, I just mm -hmm. love it. Okay, Chris. <laughs> I know you guys. So we are gonna, yeah, we are going to jump into questions. I'm actually just going to start with Jack. I'm a lover of all the chicken soup for the soul, everything. But now you're writing children's books. So uh, what inspired you to step into the arena for kids? Well, I, I had written one book for kids when we were doing chicken soup, chicken soup for the kids soul, but it was a collection of stories. And then really this, these, these two book ideas that we did were really uh, Miriam's idea. She had taken a seminar with me in, in, in California and we do an exercise where we have people say, I can't, like a list of, we go back and forth, Chris, if it was you and I, I'd say like, I can't lose that last 10 pounds. You might say, I can't stop smoking. I'd say, I can't find the time to clean my room up, you know, whatever. We just go back and forth. And what people realize is by the time they do that for a minute, they feel really depressed. All that I can't kind of weakens you. And then I have them change it to, I won't. You know, and they realize, oh, it really is a choice. I won't clean my room up. I won't answer my emails. I won't lose the last 10 pounds. And so then we switch that to I can. So we eliminate the word can't from your vocabulary. And so Miriam was flying home uh, on the plane. And I'm going to let you finish this, Miriam, because it's really your story. Talk about what happened then. Yeah. So, so this takes us back to 2012. I was at Jack Canfield's week-long seminar, Breakthrough to Success. And, you know, having four young children at home, 
you know that that's all we think about, right? Like the week was amazing yes, for me. Yeah. <laughs> How'd you get away so, for a week? <laughs> I have a very supportive husband and I needed that. So he he could tell that, that I needed that. Um, but during that week, I learned so many great things for myself, right? How to take responsibility for our lives, how to set goals, all of these things. And I just kept thinking, what am I going to go home and teach my kids? Like, where would my life be now if I would have learned this, if I would have had Jack Canfield when I was a child, like that's really what I was thinking. So on the flight home, you know, that's what I, that's what I kept thinking. And I thought the best thing I could teach them is to let go of the word can't. So on the flight home, that's when I wrote the first draft actually to I can believe in myself. I self-published the book a year later and now it's picked up by HCI Books. Uh, who did the big bad bully for us. So, so it's, it's a completely new book, new exercises at the back of the book that Jack added. And then of course, new illustrations. So that's how the story came about. And it was something I wanted to teach my children. And it's definitely to let go of that four letter bad word, the can't word. Yeah. Can I, I want to back you up for a minute and just ask you, what was your moment where you decided to go to that conference? What was that? What was your thought process there? Yeah, so um, eight weeks before that, I gave birth to my fourth child, to Lucas. And then the following day, we lost my niece, uh, my 17-year-old niece to suicide. Oh. So that's what I mean. Like, I needed to get sure. away from here. Thank you. I needed, I needed a change. And I was, of course, the emotions of having a child and then losing somebody. I was spiraling into my own little mess. So my husband luckily noticed this and we had previously been together to see Jack the, the previous year. So he said, why don't you go see Jack Canfield again? I'll take care of the baby, the other kids just go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I left my eight week old baby and I went because I knew that I needed some more of everything that Jack teaches. Um, so I'm a huge fan, obviously. First, when you talk about Chicken Soup for the Soul books, I loved those books growing up. And then when I went to see Jack and he's teaching the success principles, I, I was taking so many notes. So my husband luckily knew that and I went back. That's what got me there that week. Perfect. And I know Chris loves Jack's books too. They changed yeah. their life. I do too, of course. Yeah. Tell That's about right. it. I, I love them. I absolutely... I remember getting one as a gift when I was a young girl as well. And the first story I read, I just was crying. And my mom's like, are you okay? And I was like, this is beautiful. Look what this woman did. And I just felt like I could feel the emotion just jumping off the pages. And then for me, because I am very sensitive, I love that they're just like three pages, four pages. And then I could like read one and take a break. And then as you expanded into other things, like I have a cat, I have the cat lovers one, I golf, I have that one. And I love I just, yeah. So they, they, they fill my bookshelves and they have brought me joy over the years. And so I thank you for that. And so Miriam, I relate to you when you're like, I needed more Jack. I'm like, isn't that, that we need to <laughs> say that for all of us, but <laughs> um, so I'm, thank you for sharing as well. Um, your experience with your loss and that's such a hard thing. So our hearts go out to you in looking at that and looking at your writing the books here and stuff too, like when you look at your four children and then you have a niece who's gone through this horrible, like how do we, what advice do you have for parents who are looking at their children and like their self-esteem and their self-worth? Because I think that that is one of the huge central topics around your whole book, right? The I can is from within. And so what do you say to parents who are like, how do I help my children? Yeah, I, well, I'll, I'll tell you my, my perspective. There's so many things that you can do and I'm sure Jack is gonna 
share a lot from that. But um, one of the biggest things is to be there for them, to really be there and to to listen to what they're saying, to give them a space to speak. And and this is what's on my mind right now. So this is what I'm going to share about. Um, Jack and I recently did some lives on Instagram. And one of the tips was to do a heart talk. So to sit around with your children and to have a little object that goes around. And for us, we've been doing it for the last three weeks now. We have a little teddy bear that we just throw from one person to one person. So we're a family of six and we do it on Sundays after church. We just sit there um, and it gives. So what it is, is we're asking the question, what's up for me? or what's up for you. So the kids are sharing what's happening in their lives. And at first they weren't sharing too much, by, but, but by the second, third time that teddy bear comes around, like the girls are opening up, my teenagers are opening up. Um, they're talking about friendships. They're talking about struggles, you know, one going off to university next year, my son talking about his sports, but it's just time for them to talk for all of us, right? And as parents, we're also sharing what's happening in our lives, but giving them the space to just be themselves, to talk about what's happening. Uh, my husband last night said to me, our 16 year old daughter does not share very much. But the last couple of days, she's been talking to my husband a lot and just sharing just more things that are on her mind. And he said to me, I think it's because of that heart talk. So, so just giving them that safe space to hear them and then to be able to provide feedback if you have some or just even just being able to talk. I think that's really important. Yeah, another thing we, we teach is what we call dinner table conversation uh, and there's three questions that are really critical. We, we talk about self-esteem and self-confidence being made up of three components, feeling lovable, like you belong, all parts of you are acceptable, your feelings, your body, your, you know, your confusions, your mistakes, et cetera. And then you're capable, meaning you can do things, you can make things happen, you can get good grades in school, you can kick the ball through the you know, net and soccer and so forth. And then that you're significant, you matter. You know that we'd miss you if you were gone. You get invited to parties. You know that, that because you matter, and if you make a contribution in somebody's life, you take care of your dog. You're significant, and so the three questions we ask parents to ask children every night at dinner are: What did you learn today? What did you do today to to contribute to someone else's life? And what's something you achieved today? And so if you do that every day, 365 days a year, by the end of the year, your kids have spent a lot of time acknowledging what's good about themselves, that they're learning, that they're growing, that they're capable. They have what we call a growth mindset then instead of a fixed mindset where they think they can't improve. That's just one of the techniques. And I, and I think, you know, what, what Miriam said, kids spell love, T-I-M-E. You've got to spend time with them. And one of the things we say to people that have more than one child is spend alone time with each child, even if it's just a walk around the block, you know. So every kid feels like I'm special. I matter to dad. I matter to mom. Those kind of things. And, and then the other thing we love to do is have kids make a list of all the things that they think they can't do. And then we have in the book, we have a eulogy for, for a I can't funeral. You literally can burn the list. You can bury it in the ground with a big ceremony. You can put it through a paper shredder. And then you go in and you have a little party and you read this eulogy. You know, I'm not going to say word for word, but it's like something like, you know, today we've put to rest 
the words I can't. I can't has been very popular in all the halls of government, universities, on television, and today. But he survived by his brothers. I can. I'll try. I will. You know, and so forth. And it goes on like that. And then what happens is you can, you know, have some juice or whatever, just like you know, bells would have wine at a party or something. But those rituals actually make a huge difference. And then make a list of all the things you can do and help the kids realize you, you forgot this, you forgot that, you forgot this. And they begin to realize, wow, there's a lot I can do. 2020 has been really interesting. Um, how, uh, how, how about the, like, the I can'ts that are coming up for adults and kids alike? Um, how does this message um, inspire empowerment? What does the book inspire? Yeah, I think 2020 for all of us, right? For children and for adults brought a lot of I can't. So we kept hearing that word over and over, right? You can't go to school like you normally, like you were used to. You can't play with your friends down the street. You can't see your grandma, grandpa. So that word was was very alive in 2020. So we want to make sure to change that. And, and the main thing is to um, to focus on the things that we can do right? Like all of these things could be happening, but it's our attitude. That's really what our children are going to remember for themselves and from us. So if we are, if we just keep going on about that, that's what they're going to remember. But if we can instead start focusing on, okay, so perhaps, you know, we're not being, we're not able to see grandma and grandpa right now. What can we do? Zoom is everybody's best friend right now, right? We could do that. Or we could drop off a meal, for grandma and grandpa. So there's different things that we actually can do. And it's about focusing on that, focusing on what we can do. And then if your child, for example, is not able to, um, to go and do sports or take music lessons. So focus on what you can do. Maybe it is uh, riding their bike without training wheels. That's what you wanna teach your five-year-old, right? So having an I can mindset, a mindset is very important. And we share that there's three simple tips to success. One is to believe that you can do it and to say, I can, because what happens is as soon as a child and us, as soon as we say, I can't yeah. do something, <laughs> yeah. that word limits us. It stops us right there. But if instead we can start saying, I can, the word can gives us hope, gives us possibilities. So step one is to believe you can. Step two is find somebody that already knows how to do what you want to do and ask them for help. So um, I share a story about my daughter when she was little, she wanted to do a cartwheel and she fell down and she said, I can't do a cartwheel. That was it. She didn't try again for several years. That's when the book, I can believe in myself. That's when I wrote it, the first draft. And I talked to her about that. So step two was, so she started saying, I can do it, but it doesn't mean that you're going to go off and do your cartwheel and have it perfect the first time. Step two is to find somebody and ask them for help. So she asked her babysitter one night for help and she was able to give her some tips on the cartwheel. And then step three is to practice and practice until you can get it done. So it took her about two weeks of, you know, going for her cartwheel, falling down, getting back up, going for it again, two weeks of practicing until finally she landed her cartwheel. So I think it's really important to teach our children that first to have that I can mindset to say, I can do it, have that growth mindset, but then also to practice, right? We, we all need to invest a little bit of time in something new and then encourage them to go for that. That's great, yeah. that's great advice. I, I heard you on the sports thing too. We have a, in our family, one of our boys plays college baseball. He has a, a, a thing came out announcing their limited season and they haven't mm -hmm. played in 389 days. Wow. 
That is a long wow. time. And these are, I mean, these are college athlete driven kids, you know, who've been doing it since they were little. And it's just, that just blew my mind when I saw the 389 days. And I love the, the, what can you do? Um, we kept saying in our house, I'm curious to know if you like this, um, make the best of the moments that are, are given to us right now. Do you like that saying? Because we, we really had to, we really had some moments in here with, we have all four boys in college at once and they were all back home and all just completely a little bit derailed and we had to get back on the, <laughs> get back on. Do you like that saying? Absolutely. Yeah, I like it a lot. And, you know, I just reinforce what, what, what Miriam said, you know, they can't play baseball, the game, but they can go and they can go to the batting cage somewhere. They can play catch in the backyard. They can lift weights. They can run. They can get in better shape. You know, someone once said, everyone's going to come out of the pandemic, either being a hunk, a trunk or a drunk. I mean, they're going to put on weight or they're going to lose weight because they worked out so much or they're going to drink too much alcohol. But the idea being we have a choice of what we can do. And there's still a lot of things you can do. And I would just add one more thing about learning. Uh, I just read a book recently on the, the, the secrets of peak performance by a guy named Stephen Kotler, who studies people like this. You know, they, they surf these 50-foot waves and they climb Mount Everest. And they do things that most of us would never consider doing. And he said, one of the main things of learning anything is going through frustration. You have to realize that frustration is required. And when kids get frustrated, they usually misinterpret that, meaning I'm, I'm not good at this. I'll never be good at this. I can't do it. Why can't I do it as good as my older brother the first time hitting the basketball into the net or, you know, hitting the, I remember teaching my kid to play volleyball and uh, Christopher and you know, he couldn't stand way back at the line and, and hit the ball and make it go over the net. It was just too far. So I started with him one foot away, hit the ball to me, hit the ball to me. And then I said, two feet away, hit the ball to me, three feet. And if you just break it down into little tiny steps, what can happen is eventually he was able to hit it over the net. But it took, you know, weeks for that to happen. And I had to tell him, look, you are frustrated. You know what? That proves that you're going to be good at this because you wouldn't be frustrated if it didn't matter to you. And so you, you reframe it so that they realize it's part of the process, not a stop sign to give up. Yeah. You know, um, I always think interviews are meant to be when you bring up gymnastics and volleyball, because Chris and I are both, I'm a, I was a competitive gymnast and she was competitive volleyball. So yeah. oh, <laughs> I know the cartwheel. I know that moment, Miriam. Oh, <laughs> yes. I, I have, I've had three volleyball players, oh, <laughs> two of them still. Yes. Yeah. But, but I think that's really important. Just uh, teaching them resilience. Not everything is going to work out the way we had planned, but that's okay. How can we find the positive? And that's something I'd like to, you know, ask my students and my kids, what's something positive that came out of 2020? Like there are a lot of positive things. So it's just where our focus goes. Yeah. And I love how both of you have just talked about that long game too, right? Like you don't get the cartwheel like that. You don't get the first serve like that. You need to commit a little more time to it and go through that frustration as Jack says that learning curve and then still like Miriam said have that like faith or resilience and perseverance that you can get there so that mm -hmm. that's um those are all really good points uh you know I know in the back of the book you also have um activities and I was hoping that you could describe one or two of those for us and tell us what those activities are like maybe I'll get Jack to start with that well, we talked about one, which is the I can't funeral, where you literally have the kids make a list of all their I can'ts, and then we either bury it, burn it, or, you know, run through a paper shredder uh, and, and read the eulogy. We have another one that's really interesting is the kids uh, make a card that says I can on it, and they have to bring that somewhere every day, either to dinner in the house or to school. And what happens is they usually lose it. <laughs> 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 
but and, and the challenge is, you know, what can you do if you really commit? If you make it, if you really commit to it, you know, um, and you know, some of these schools have these exercises where they give you an egg, and you got to take care of that egg for a semester. You can't let it get broken, you know. And, and they talk about, you know, if you're going to be a parent, you know, if you can't take care of an egg, how are you going to take care of a kid? And I was thinking about Miriam's husband who took said after a baby was eight weeks old and said, "You go away for a week." That's a loving <laughs> husband. Great husband. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and then taking every I can't and turning into what would be the opposite I can. And then also having an affirmation where you have a list of the things you want to be able to do. And then you say, I can, I can play baseball. I can kick a field goal. I can learn to juggle, you know, whatever. I teach all my kids how to juggle because it's one of the things that nobody thinks they can do. And once they do that, and it's very easy to learn, you can learn in a week if you know how to do it. And uh, what happens then they, they begin to have this, I can. People that take Tony Robbins's firewalk, what, what's the big deal? You're never gonna walk on coals at a barbecue. I mean, that's not like a, a learned skill that's gonna serve you well. But what happens is you get to do something you didn't think you could do and you get to the other side and you go, oh my God, I didn't think I could do that. What else do I think I can do that I can do? And you begin to like start to do all the things you're afraid to do because you realize you can. So there's that exercise in there as well, but having affirmations. And, and so it just, there's a number of things. I would say one other thing we recommend parents do is have two pictures in your children's room. One of something they do that they do well, like in your case, maybe him in his baseball uniform or somebody in their cheerleading squad uniform or whatever. And then something where there's a, a picture of the family with them in it, everyone looking happy. So they feel lovable. So lovable and capable, those two things. Every night they're getting that subliminal message, I'm good at something and I'm loved. Oh, I love that. That's a, that's a fabulous idea. Mm -hmm. I was just gonna say, I think Jack has covered a lot of great ones, but uh, I'm gonna share about Shreddy. So Shreddy is a character in the book. He's a paper shredder. So the story is about Molly Right there, who, ha yeah. Yeah, who has been chosen as the star of the day at school, and, which means that she has to get up in front of the whole class and talk about her show and tell. But she's so afraid, she keeps thinking, I can't, I can't speak in front of the class. So in the end, she has to work through it and notices that her friends are also saying, I can't do different things. And she decorates a paper shredder. With the teacher's help, she decorates a paper shredder and calls it shreddy. So this is her show and tell. And I'm going to mention that because just this morning, I got an email from somebody that has a, our book already. It just came out last week, but she has it. She's a teacher and she decorated a paper shredder in her classroom and had the kids do what the book says. So that's one of the activities you could do. Let's see, where is Shreddy there? He's a paper shredder. Yeah, that's just decorated. And you can have your children, or if you're a teacher, your students all write something that they feel that they can't do and then they come up one by one and feed it to Shreddy, right? It's a, it's a way of seeing that can't, shredded, cut, you know, ripped up, burn, like Jack was saying, like if you're gonna have that in your backyard, it's a way of seeing it, it's gone now. And then after you should also get them to write that as an I can statement. So I can get an A in my math test. I can make the volleyball team or the soccer team. So I, I really like that activity. And I love to see now that teachers are incorporating it and sending us photos about it. I'll have to send that to you, Jack. <laughs> yeah, I wanna see it. And you don't know, Mary Mazart, I think I sent you uh, the sheriff of Santa Barbara County, where I live in California, they do a, a children's reading day, which was a few days ago. And he read our book 
on television to all the kids in Santa Barbara County. Oh, yes, it's the read. It's the read out loud day in yeah. America. Yeah, yeah, that was really neat that he chose. I can believe in myself to do that. Yeah, that's very that's special. awesome. We we love hearing that. That is awesome. So congratulations on that for the read aloud. So good, Thank Miriam. You. When you held up the book there, I could see all of your children. They're they're uh, multicultural. So how yes. important was that to you and Jack in writing this book? Yeah, that that was really important, and I'll share for me. I both my fam, both my parents are from Bolivia in South America. So growing up, I did not see Hispanic children in children's books, and I really wish that I would have. I think that that would have helped me felt feel like I fit in more, like I was a a part of, um, you know, at home we spoke Spanish, we ate different food. If I would have seen that in books, I think it would have helped me with my self esteem, my development all of that. So when we were putting this together, Jack and I spoke about that and about adding different ethnicities to the story. I'll let Jack talk about that, but we have um, a little girl, Maria, who is from El Salvador. Doesn't say that in the book. As an author, you need to know this about your book. So <laughs> I know that she's from El Salvador. Um, we have a, an Asian American child and then African American children and the teacher. So Jack, I... I yeah, yeah. I, I, I taught in an all-Black high school for a year in Chicago, and then I worked for the Job Corps, which was primarily Native Americans, Hispanic, Puerto Ricans, and uh, Black people from Chicago and from around that area. And so always been important to me. I mean, when I was teaching, there, were no, there was no Black history in the history book, so I had to buy a book uh, called Before the Mayflower as a paperback and give that to all my students as an ancillary textbook so they could know that they were in the history. You know, people say, if you can't see you, you don't think you can be that. You know, now we see mm -hmm. Kamala Harris and people, little girls are going, wow, I can be not white as a girl and a woman. Maybe I can be vice president. Maybe I can be president, you know, yes. black boys because I can be president because of Barack Obama. And so I think that's important that kids see themselves in the books and that they know that they're they're included. They're part of it. They matter. That's that significant thing we talked about before that I'm lovable and significant. So it was a big issue for us and, and when we were very conscious of and asked our illustrator to include all of the different uh, ethnic groups in the book. Beautiful. Um, I can very much relate to Molly. Can we go back to Molly for a moment? I would sure. say that speaking in front of people is not my favorite thing, but not, I can't, I can. But I did have I can't for a really long time. Um, can you help us through that? Because I that's public speaking is a, a thing people don't seem to really love. Now Chris over here, <laughs> she's up in front of the audience all day long. Um, but you know, the, I think some help with people who struggle to do anything in public would be really lovely. And I know the, the, the book, sure. yeah. See, yeah, the number, right now, I'm like, blah, blah. <laughs> when you look at all the research, the number one fear of, of the of the most people have the number fear is called fear of public speaking, fear of speaking in front of a group. Number third fear is fear of dying, which says most people would rather die than speak in front of a group, you know. So <laughs> and and I and I actually did some research on this fear of drowning, fear of snakes, and fear of the dark. Are, are the top five fears. And I, I used to tell a joke and I would say, you know, there was this guy and he had to give a speech in the dark next to a swimming pool full of snakes on top of a tall building, you know, because the <laughs> fear of heights is another one. But that, that's not really true. But, the, but all those fears are true. But number one, 
fear of public speaking. And so the big fear is not the speaking. The fear is the response you're going to get from people, that they're going to judge you. You're going to make a mistake. They're going to laugh at you. You'll feel shamed. You know, you'll be embarrassed. You'll want to run out of the room. And so what most people do, fear is all created by imagining something in the future that hasn't happened yet. Even if there was a snake in your room slithering toward your desk right now, if in order for you to feel fear, you'd have to imagine it biting you. Because if it wasn't going to bite you, there's nothing to be afraid of. But you have to go into the future. That hasn't happened yet. So fear of public speaking is fear of something you haven't done yet. It's not happening yet. And so what happens is we teach kids and adults to close your eyes and imagine speaking in front of a group and getting a positive standing ovation. Everyone loves you. They pat you on the back. They tell you good job, etc. So that what happens is because the body cannot tell the difference between a real event and an imagined event, you can practice in your mind and actually has impact on your ability to do it in life. Same thing is true with, you know, hitting a baseball, you know, soccer, anything you want to do, practicing it in your mind, the same muscles will fire off as if you were actually doing it. And we know that practice doesn't make perfect, perfect practice makes perfect. So you want to visualize yourself giving this great talk, everyone loving it. You know, you remember all your lines. And even if you get, forget some, it's not important because it doesn't have to be perfect. And that's really, really, really valuable to do. The second thing we tell people is when you're giving a talk, look for two or three friendly faces in the audience. Could be your best friend, could be some woman that's looking really loving and compassionate or whatever. And talk to those two or three people. You know, forget everyone else at first. Just talk to the people you know are going to be positive. And that helps. And then the third thing is do it. Because every time you do it and you survive, you build up confidence. We say you that- You would actually survive that? Yeah, they do. They do. Here's the deal. We're all here. We've all survived it. So the point is self-confidence is the result of surviving a risk. You know, if the first time you walked on a rail, like, you know, I wanted to learn to walk on a fence. So I started by walking on a two by four on the ground. So if I fell off, I only fell like four inches. And as I got good at that, I didn't fall off, then I could raise it. And then eventually I'm walking on this real fence we had on our, our property. I never fell off. And the same thing, Strits, how they teach people to walk on a high wire. You start with the wire one foot off the ground. And once you've mastered that, you can keep moving it up till you can walk, you know, 30, 40, 50 feet off the ground. Uh, that's It's little by little, little by little. And you don't want to start by talking to a thousand people. You start by talking to 10 people, 20 people, 100 people, then you build up. I've spoken to 20,000 people at one time in an arena, but I didn't start. I started with a high school class of 32 kids. That's how I, that's how I built my comfort. Love it. Yeah, even at, so at 51 years old, I could, even age is a factor. Yeah, I think, you know, I do. I think some of the things like, oh, I don't know if I should do that. Or I, I don't know if it's necessarily I can't, but it's like, oh, should I? You know, kind of thing. So that was, that's really, really helpful. Um, that, yeah. I heard you loud and clear there. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, that's, that's good. Well, think, 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 think about this, Elizabeth. You're talking to a lot of people right now. Yeah. In your mind, you're only talking to me and Miriam, but there's hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of people watching or listening later. You know, when I was on the Oprah show, I was talking to Oprah. Now, there were 40 million people watching, but yeah. as long as I concentrated on Oprah, I was great, right? Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Yeah, I'm concentrating on you guys, so I'm not real worried. So, yeah, exactly. I love that. Exactly. No, I just got worried. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'll just add that if you are, um, if your child comes to you and, and they're feeling afraid about, you know, doing, um, getting up in front of the class and, 
and sharing their show and tell, definitely that's a great feedback from Jack. The other thing that I do is just share those three simple steps. I, I think that really helps. And I incorporated that for myself. I did a TEDx talk a couple of years ago and same thing, right? The first thing you have to do is believe that you can do it and then find somebody else that's going to help you find a mentor. So I, I joined Toastmasters. Um, oh, it's a club yeah. where you practice speaking uh, on what can I learn to be an effective speaker? And then the third part is I practice and practice. I actually booked myself to deliver the same speech at schools, at high schools, uh, five times before I got on the TEDx stage because I didn't want to feel those nerves. I didn't want it to be the first time I was delivering this speech in front of people. So I went from a little bit to a little bit of a larger audience. And then I got on the TEDx stage and I didn't feel nervous because I had already done it five other times with a group. That's a so, really great point too. That makes that, that's a flight path. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. It's so good. And I love too, you've circled around a few times where you're like, find someone who's done it, find someone who can show you or whatever. And I love that collaborative vibe. And I'm dying to know how did this collaborative vibe come to be so Miriam and Jack obviously Miriam you're like I was a fan and now you're a collaborator with Jack and so I am tell us the story how did you decide to collaborate on this book together and how did you guys get that uh, partnership going yes well you know that I mean what I write about are things that I learned from Jack and sitting in that room where he was teaching all of us and you know all, all of the exercises that I've done so when I wrote the fourth book which is the Big Bad Bully. So, yeah, The Big Bad Bully. I was inspired to write this when my daughter, who was a sixth grader at the time, came to me and, well, she was in my bedroom in front of a full length mirror saying things like, mommy, why is my hair so frizzy? Mommy, why are my legs so short? Why do I have so many pimples? And nothing that I was saying to her would make her stop. She was just in that, you know, like just putting herself down until finally I went up to her and I said, stop it, you are bullying yourself. And she stopped talking and I could see that she understood what I was talking about. So after we had a conversation and I actually taught her one of the exercises that Jack had taught me and it's in the back of the book, it's called the mirror exercise, how to stand in front of the mirror every night and talk to yourself kindly. Jack can take us through the process, but basically is to love on yourself and to talk about all the good things that happened that day and all the good things about you. Um, so after I talked to her about that, I taught her the mirror exercise that night, I just started writing this story because I thought, well, it, she, it was a new concept for her. Kids learn about how bad bullying is. And it's so bad to bully somebody else, but she had never thought of it as if she was bullying herself. So when I wrote that story, I was ready to send it to a, to a publisher, a traditional publisher, and I just wanted to think bigger. I allowed myself to think bigger that day. And I thought, okay, if I want so many children to, for this book to reach so many children, I have to think bigger. So I thought I'm going to I'm going to send Jack an email and ask him if he would like to co-author this with me. I mean, he's taught me to ask, ask, ask for what you want. And I thought the worst he could say is no. And I'll be, you know, I'm in the same place as if I wouldn't have asked him. So I sent Jack an email and I asked him if he could co-author it. Luckily, he loved it. And I'll let him go on from there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did love it. I'd love it. You know, I, I for me, I think one of the big challenges in our culture is we don't teach kids the things they really need to know sometimes. 
like no, nobody ever got divorced because they didn't memorize the five exports of Brazil or the four causes of the civil war or whatever, you know, they didn't learn how to communicate. They never learned how to manage their emotions. They never learned how to balance a checkbook. They were financially illiterate. You know, there's so many life skills they're not learning. So I've been very pleased in the last, you know, five, six years, there's so many books coming out now about these principles that we teach in these human development seminars for kids, about they can do things, they can share their feelings. You know, it's important to be compassionate, to reach out, to be of service to each other, to help, to think positive thoughts and so forth. And so when Miriam suggested I co-authored a book with her, I was excited because number one, I love children. I want my, I have a grandson who's seven now. And so I, when she asked me, he was younger and I thought, oh, I have a grandson. This is perfect. I can read for him as well as for everyone else. I want him to learn these messages. And so I said, yes. And we did a little bit of re-editing of some of the dialogue in the book. And then I added all the exercises in the back of the book. And uh, we got found this amazing illustrator, uh, Eva Morales, and we, you know, the rest is history and we're going to do some more books as well. So it's been, it's been a great collaboration. It's been a lot of fun. I love this whole group of people that to get to grow up with, with Jack and Miriam. How <laughs> wonderful, uh, you know, that's, that's, that makes an impact. And um, because, you know, I, I was thinking, and this might be too much information, but, you know, Chris and I have both been pretty bullied in our lives. And, mm -hmm. um, we, you know, you have to kind of untrain your brain to think what's sort of said to you so it doesn't carry forth into your adulthood. One of the things that we do every day is together, we get up and we do percolate daily and um, we lead a group just for five minutes every day and we do positive affirmations. Like last month was fabulous um, February and this month is marvelous March. And um, we have kids. So we do like, I am fabulous, I am marvelous, I am this, I am that. And we have kids chiming in now. Parents are taking oh, the kids to our stuff. That's cool. It is cool, but it's it's helped me a lot too to kind of um, to just you know think. Yeah, because it's adults too. Wives are bringing their husbands. People are bringing their <laughs> children. I love what you said, Miriam, when you said, "Don't bully yourself," because I That's think that is the part of this uh, is your self talk and how much you matter. Like uh, the pictures in your bedroom, what you're capable of, and that you're lovable. Like all of those messages, everything, uh, everything matters, and everything kind of leans in towards that feeling of, of self-worth and all of the things we're talking mm -hmm. about here today. Um, and I love that all four of us as well are, are writers. Elizabeth and I both write and blog, and you guys are obviously amazing writers. I want to ask you, what advice do you have for aspiring writers? I mean, Jack, you have a wealth of knowledge. Miriam, you're incredible with your own series and tons of books. So what would you say if someone comes to you and says, I want to be a writer? What's your advice? I say write. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, you know, here's the deal. I think everybody has a book in them. You know, it's like a lot of people don't, a lot of people don't write because they think what they have to say is not new. And, and maybe what some of the principles aren't new, but the way they're sharing them, how they apply them to their life, what their life story is, the things they've overcome, other people can relate to that. You know, some people write about being a single mom or some people write about overcoming cancer or some people write recipes you can do with your kids when you're in, in quarantine. You know, whatever it is, there's value. And so I say, you know, if you want to write, write. And the other thing I would say, and, and Miriam can chime in too at, at the end of this, because she's now supporting other people to write children's books. There's a whole course she does with that. And But what I say to people is make sure you take time to write every day. 
make it a discipline, you know, find that half hour, hour, two hours, whatever it is, whether it's in the morning before the kids get up or after they go to bed or when they're at school, whatever it is, find a disciplined time to write, get words on paper and then let it sit, meaning write today, but don't read it again, maybe until Thursday or Friday, then edit. Don't edit as you're writing, write, just get it on paper. And then after you've edited it, whatever you think you've completed, whether it's a chapter or a book, get feedback. Feedback is the breakfast of champions. Most books go to their publishers. The wife or husband's read it, the agents read it, the acquisition editors read it, and then it goes out to the world. You only get four people's opinion. What you wanna do is get a lot of people to give you feedback. What Chicken Soup for the Soul, every story you ever read was read by at least 20 to 40 people and scored on a scale of one to 10 and then put into an Excel spreadsheet. And if it didn't come out as an average of a nine or above, it didn't get into a book. And so that some of the stories I wrote never made it into my own books. You know, so <laughs> the idea is that you really? want to get feedback, you know, and the same with kids. You know, if you're writing a children's book, you want to read it to kids and get their feedback, you know, and to parents and have them do that. And the second thing I would say is even if your book's not a book for children, you know, put some cartoons in it, put some pictures in it, put stories in it. Stories are what Velcro to the mind. You know, that's why children's books are so great. They're stories. They have a middle, a beginning, a middle and an end, you know? And so the same thing's true. Every book I've written, including the success principles, each principle is illustrated by a story of someone who applied that principle and how it worked in their life. And so don't think you can't write and don't worry about grammar. They have things, things called editors. Editors can do the editing, put the commas where they belong and all that good stuff. But you have an idea, you know, take the risk to put it on paper. Mm -hmm. Miriam, talk about your children's book work. You're, you're doing some yeah. work that. Yeah, so a couple of years ago, I so my goal has always been to inspire children, to elevate children, to empower them. And I, I do that through my children's books, but I realized that I can do, I can reach more children if I help other authors write great children's books and put them out in the world, right? We can help even more people. So I offer a 12-week program, a course, where I teach authors how to do that. And what I want to say is the most important thing, or for me, what I have found anytime that I wanted to achieve a goal or that I wanted to grow is to find mentors. That's how I got into the Jack's world, right? I was in the room, I was listening, I was taking notes, I was going home, I was applying it. But then after that, there's a community that stays. Like we learn from Jack, but then we're in community. We find our tribe of self-development, you know, of self-esteem junkies, that's what I like to call myself, um, <laughs> or writers, or, you know, volleyball players, or, you know, whatever it is. Finding your tribe is so important because those are the people that are really going to help you get through the day-to-day, -day. right? So finding a mentor and then finding a community where you are learning to write or you're encouraging other people and encouraging, and they're encouraging you to, to keep on going, to get to the finish line. Beautiful. All right, we have two more questions, if you if you don't mind. Um, we we have this thing that we call the incredible yes. Um, this is a moment where you said yes to something or someone, and it changed your life. Um, we were wondering if you could each share. Um, we know you might have more than one, but if you could just share one or, or two, that would be wonderful. Um, Jack, do you want to go first? Yeah, I would share probably the biggest thing that changed my life. I was uh, living in Massachusetts at the time in Amherst, Mass. And um, there's a company, I, I took a training called the Insight Training, which is a, you know, one of these 350 people for a, a weekend type of trainings. And it really changed my life and I loved it. 
And um, I, the guy that was in charge of that company asked me if I'd like to become a trainer for them. And I said, yes which meant selling, I had a retreat center I owned, 11 acres of land in, the, in Massachusetts. I sold that, I moved to California. And then right when I was about to move, he rescinded the job offer. I'd already sold my house. <laughs> and, oh no. And so oh. then my wife and I decided, well, we're gonna move to California anyway. So we moved to California and uh, I started meeting all these amazing people in this work that I do, which was called human, potential human development, you know, personal growth. And it's like the seedbed, John Gray, who wrote Men Are From Mars, Gay Hendricks, I could go list all the different people. And that literally changed my life, was, be, was saying yes to a major move across country, didn't have a job at that point, but literally saying yes to that opened up everything. I love California, I love the people I've met, and it got me into a world that just blew me away. Thank you. Miriam? That's well, thank you, Jack. I didn't know that story about you. <laughs> That's great. Um, for me, I would it would take me back to that airplane ride home and and having that that feeling that I wanted to make a difference in children's lives, not only my children, but you know, I kept thinking about what happened to my niece and and I did not want that to happen again. Um, but saying yes to to first that having that feeling that I want to do this, and then being scared to do it because I had no idea how I was going to write a book or how I was going to market it, put it out there. Like I had no clue, right? But saying yes to, to that feeling and to wanting to make a difference, I think that changed everything because from there you can, you can figure out how to do it. You can figure out, you can find somebody and ask them, right? So just going with, with your gut. And, and up that, one more time. Let's see it. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Beautiful. Good job. Yeah. You. And then Chris is going to ask you about your incredible best. Yes. Yeah, so when do you feel like you are your incredible best? It could be a moment when you're like, I did this. I know you talked about your TEDx talk or something, but really we just want you to share a moment with us when you felt really proud of yourself because mm -hmm. achieving things and saying I can is really a fantastic thing. But that next part, and you both mentioned it a little, is that celebration and that feeling proud of yourself and that it's okay to celebrate and feel proud. So we want to know a time when you felt proud of yourself, when you were kind of at your incredible best in a, in a moment or a time. So I'm going to start with Miriam first on this one. If Ooh, you don't mind. Yeah, that, that's a tough one, but you know, all my thoughts are going around my kids when they've um, you know, to our kids, we're mom that drives them around that doesn't know how to use her phone, that sort of thing. Um, but I'll say I, I took my teenage daughters 14 and 16 at the time to Jack Canfield's course, right? Like I've been talking about this. So I took them a couple of years ago and Jack brought me up on stage because we were talking about uh, the big bed bully. And, um, and that night in the hotel room, my daughter said to me, my 14 year old said, I didn't know you were successful. <laughs> and and that uh, that that felt like of course she doesn't right she doesn't know she sees me working she knows I'm writing books she enjoys the books but she had no idea but at, so that 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 was a moment that I was like yeah you think I'm just the mom that drives you around <laughs> you know I gotta share with you something about that I just had that moment with with our kids with you guys they both went what you're interviewing Jack Canfield and Mary, you know, but they, it was pretty neat. So, um, that 
I, I feel you. you. That's so cool, Miriam. Yeah, that's my world. That's the world I live in with the kids, right? Oh, that's neat. Yeah, and you know, what a cool, I, I'm gonna hang on Jack one second. That That's so neat that they got to go see Jack. I didn't know you could do that. Ideas are flowing here. <laughs> of course, of oh, course. Oh, that's I, cool. Yeah, I'll just say one more thing on that. Please. You know, I my idea was to take the 16-year-old because I thought 14 was too young, yeah. but she really wanted to come, so she came. And now I, I continue taking courses with Jack. He does uh, a coaching program once a week. Uh, I get on and listen to him speak, and he has guest speakers. But since my daughters are doing online learning, my daughters sit in my office, and I sent Jack a photo last week. They're both, I have two chairs in front of me. They're taking notes. They're, they love this world now. And it was just introducing them. I don't ask them too much about it. They have their journals. You know, I just let them listen. And now um, one of them missed the class last week. Like she kept texting me, send me the replay, send me the replay. So it's, it's just nice when we can help our kids in that way. Oh, it's beautiful. Jack, can we have that information or Miriam, can we have that information so that we can share that with our network, please? Yeah, just here for me, just go to jackcanfield.com. Oh, okay. And all of our seminars and coaching clubs and our mastermind groups, all the things that Miriam's talking about are listed there under what's called events. There's an okay. event button. Yeah, I'd love to have you guys participate. It's pretty cool. Perfect. And then don't forget, you're going to tell us about a personal best and a proud moment yeah, for you. I'm going to tell yourself. you two, two slices, two two quick ones. Number one, I feel I'm my personal best when I'm on stage teaching. That's that's when I'm happiest. That's when I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And the, the other thing was, I'm in New York. I just received an award for, for my book, for Chicken Soup, and with Mark Victor Hansen, my co-author. And we're coming back to the hotel. You know, it's about 10 at night. And we walk in and there's this girl who's uh, bald. And I thought, oh, you know, chemo. Oh, okay. And so I uh, went over and I, I was going to say, you know, I would love to send you a copy of my book, Chicken Soup for the Kid's Soul or Chicken Soup for the Preteen Soul, whatever age she was. And, um, you know, and, and she said, oh, I know all about your books. If it weren't for your books, I wouldn't be able to get through chemo. My mom reads me stories. And so then I don't get nauseous, you know, and I'm thinking like, oh, my God, you never know where your books go and how they impact people and the difference they make. So that just those little moments like that are huge for me. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, is there is there anything that we haven't covered that you wanted to mention? Oh. <laughs> yeah. well, Sorry. That is powerful. I just I love that. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. So if we're feeling good. Go ahead and hold your books up yeah, one more time. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to hold the two of them right there. I can. Me too. Me too. Yeah, there we Thank go. Thank you so much. Look at that. Let's give a round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Um, thank you both so much for being with us here. I, I really appreciate your time and energy and um, best of luck to um, you both uh, with your books. I mean, how, how powerful. Well, thanks for having us and thank giving you. us the opportunity to let people know about them. Appreciate it. You keep you guys keep up your good work too. Oh, thank you so much. We're working yeah. on it. All right. Thank you, Miriam. We really appreciate this, you. This was fun. Thank you so much. All right. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening.